I um, was sitting in a meeting here at the church a few years ago, and one of the men in the meeting that I was a part of that day shared with me about an author by the name of Bob Green, and I had never heard of him, and he recommended his book. He had been a journalist for the Chicago Times, I believe it was, if I remember correctly, but I bought the book he recommended and read it, and just so many powerful stories about American life and America and what he had observed as a journalist. But in another book that I bought of his and I read I was a powerful story that I just want to take a moment and share with you as I begin the message today. Bob's wife died while they were still raising their children, and it just shattered him. And he was ignoring phone calls, he was ignoring people that you know, called, and it's the kinds of things that we've talked about here before in our small groups, and we've talked about on midweek services, that when somebody goes through a, a tragic loss like that, you don't call them and ask how they're doing. You don't even really call and ask, what can I do for you? They just don't know how to answer at that time. You just need to be present. You just need to be with them, and just be quiet, and grieve with them. But Bob, that day the phone kept ringing, and so finally he picked it up, and it was a friend of his, and he said to him, Bob, I just flew in from Chicago. I've checked into a hotel. I'm here if you need me. You don't have to call me, but I'm going to stay here for a week in the hotel, and if you need me, call me. And he said, I said, thanks, and hung up the phone, because all I really wanted to do was be alone with my kids. I just didn't know how to grieve. He says, as the day progressed, I, I kept thinking about what is my friend doing? Is he watching ball games on TV? If what's he doing? And finally, I just called him and says, would you just come and sit with me? And he said, my friend came over that evening. He sat with me, waited till we all went to bed, locked the doors, went back to his hotel, came back the next day, and all he did was sit with me. And then he began to help me with preparing meals for the children until finally I was ready to talk. And I remember after reading that story, I asked myself this question, do I have a friend that would fly in from a city as far away as Dallas is from Chicago and say, I've checked into a hotel, I'll spend $1,000 to stay in a hotel this week. If you need me, I'm just here. And I think everybody needs a friend like that. I think everybody needs a friend that is not there to try to fix things, repair things, but just be a godly friend, someone that can come alongside and help us, gently help us get to a better place in life, get to a better place spiritually with the Lord, get to a better place relationally with those around us, get to a better place with ourselves as well, a friend that's just there. It's always amazed me since the very first time I can remember as a teenager reading that statement that Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And even though I knew what Jesus was saying was true, I just could not grasp that truth that Jesus wanted to be my friend. Even though he said he wanted to be my friend, even though he is a friend, and I grew up singing songs like, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear, what a privilege just to carry to him, everything in prayer. 
I knew that was true, but that wasn't the God that I heard necessarily preached from the pulpit, and that wasn't the God that I necessarily heard talked about. It was a God who demanded perfection. But if there's anything I've learned in life, my best friend Jesus doesn't demand perfection from me. He just demands my love, and he demands my loyalty. And that's what a friend should demand from everyone else. Apparently, most people in America don't have a friend like that, like Bob Green's friend. This is according to a, a statistic that I read on researching friendships. 70% of Americans say they have few close friends. And if that was to be true, if our church is to reflect society at large, then I look at this congregation and those who worship with us online, and I go to myself, 70% of the people that I pastor don't have a really close friend. 43% of the people in America say they have one person, a no person, that they can confide in, that they can trust with the deepest, most troubling secrets of their life and expect them to remain confident. Now, the reasons for this, according to the statistics and the survey I was reading, the reasons for this is because of modern technology that we're able to do virtual friendships, and yet there's been articles in the journal, there's been articles in the Times, there's been articles in the American Medical Journal that you can't call Facebook friends really friends. As a matter of fact, because of a lawsuit, there is a legal definition for Facebook friends now, people that we've never met. We sometimes locate jobs. We have people who come in and out of this congregation all the time that are with us for a few years, and I was thinking about one of them this morning and praying for them as I was getting ready for church and thinking about the powerful impact that they had upon this congregation for the few short years they were here. But then there's some that you've just been wounded from childhood that you really don't know how to make a friend. You were mocked, you were laughed, you were ostracized, you were put to the side, and it crippled you emotionally and maybe made you turn inward so that you really don't know how to develop a close friendship. Tragically, from the PK retreats, at preacher's kids retreats that Becky and I have done, we've heard from a lot of preacher's kids that when they've left a church, their parents have told them, you can no longer be friends with people in that church. You can no longer be friends with the people you were growing up with. You can't call them. You can't write them. And you can't email them because there was a philosophy taught to pastors that when you left a church, you had nothing more to do with that church. There was no more friendship going on there. And yet, that's not what I see with the Apostle Paul when I read the New Testament. Paul, this man who really was an affectionate and a loving friend, not only to the church, but to lost people as well. So in getting ready for this series on friendship that I'm going to be doing, I asked myself the following questions. How can I be a better friend? And after I wrote that down, I thought to myself, well, what about those people that don't even know how to build friendships? How can you become a friend? How can you build a friendship with somebody? And as I sat there praying and saying, Jesus, just help me understand this, how is it that we come to this place that we can translate from the Bible what the Bible says about friendship to modern contemporary life? I think about Jonathan and David. How many of you know the story of Jonathan and David in the Old Testament? 
Well, about 50%. Let me be sure, because I don't want to waste time telling the story. How many of you don't know this? Put your hands out. How many of you don't know the story of Jonathan and David from the Oak? Significant number of you in here. Jo David was the king of Israel. Saul was David's enemy. His son Jonathan was scheduled to be, or was next in line to be the king of Israel. But Saul and David became best of friends. Matter of fact, they became such close friends that there are homosexual movements today that want to say that because they were such close friends that Jonathan Dave, and David were gay. And when I think about that, I go, how pathetic and how broken is our understanding of friendship when two men can't be close friends in our culture and society anymore without somebody accusing them of being a homosexual? It's not a matter of, of sexuality. It's a matter, as we're going to look at it this series, what is a friend? And by the way, Jonathan was willing to give up the throne in order to see David become the king of Israel. Jonathan was even willing to trust the word of the Lord over his fathers. It's a fascinating story that you should take time to read. Well, based on all this, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to go to maybe a little different passage than you might have thought of, but it's a passage from the Beatitudes or from the Sermon on the Mount. I've really been living in this for the last month or so and just trying to soak it in and just let the Holy Spirit speak to me here, but I want to read it to you from the message translation, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Jesus says, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light. Look at your neighbor and say, you're here to be light. I don't know you, but you are here to be light. I want you to know that. Barb, you are here to be... I'm looking for everybody that didn't have somebody. Daryl Lynn, you're here to be light. Becky, you light up my life. Come on, Victory. My little four-year... How old is... Three? three Two-year-old grandson said to me on FaceTime last night. He said, Papa, come on, Victory. I had a Pentecostal moment right there. That was such a wild thing. Well, back to the Word. That wasn't anointed, but it was still good. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand and now that I put you there on a hilltop on a light stand or a candle stand, candlestick, shine, keep open house, be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you will prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Would you read this with me? Let's just back up to be, be generous with your lives. Let's read that together. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you will prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Let's read it again. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you will prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. How different is that than the tracts I used to hand out to people as a teenager that I was given that says, you're going to hell and burn, baby. Jesus is saying, be generous with your lives. Open up your heart. And by being generous with your life and your friendship, you will prompt, you will help other people to open up to God. How many of you want that this morning? You want to see your friends open up their hearts and lives to the Lord. Isn't that exciting? 
I can hardly stand myself this morning. I want to preach so bad. So let's, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' holy name, we're just asking for the illumination of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. Help us to read. Help us to understand. Help us to grasp what you're saying here in this passage of Scripture. Lord, we want to be your friend as you have befriended us. We want to be friends to one another. But, Lord, we want to befriend the lost as well, for it's in Jesus' holy name I ask. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. One of the things that amazed me about the Apostle Paul, and I have to confess it's been a real weakness in my life, and I'm trying and learning to do better. I think I'm improving as time goes on. But one of the things that is so cool about Paul is how he managed to keep in touch he managed to keep in touch with the churches that he planted. He managed to keep in touch with the pastors that he raised up. He managed to keep up in touch with different members of the congregation. If you haven't gathered by now, that's the first fill-in on your outline, keep in touch. He managed to be able to keep in touch with folks. I was reading the other day about, in a book that I was enjoying, about someone who went through a tragedy in their life. And they said, you know, when our daughter died, none of my Facebook friends showed up at my house to comfort us. None of my Facebook friends sent a condolence card. So my pastor who had been there for us and dedicated my daughter, my pastor who had been with my husband and I as we went through a very rocky place in our marriage, and he helped us to live out a holy promise that we had made and to save our marriage. Our pastor was there. Our church was there. Our friends who loved us. The author of this book goes on to write, how did we come to have such good friends? How did we come to have such close friends in our lives? And she surmised that by deciding that we were going to plant ourselves in a church family, we decided that instead of taking every opportunity to move for more money that came our way with our careers, we would immerse ourselves into a community and live in that community and become enmeshed in that community. She said, we have lived with joy and we will live heartbreaking times with our friends and they have lived through our times of joy and our heartbreaking times. She said, I've discovered you cannot be a friend tangentially you cannot be a friend voyeuristically via Facebook, but you have to be a friend physically by being involved in people's lives because people touch, people hold, people communicate, people look eye to eye. And somehow in a day when there was no Facebook, there were no airplanes, there were no trains or buses, the Apostle Paul managed to keep in touch with his friends he kept in touch with them primarily, I believe, through the Scriptures according to one powerful way that is available to all of us. If you'll look with me at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Now, what he's saying is not that I think of you every day. He's not saying I think of you all the time. But he says, every time I do think of, think of you, I give thanks to God. And I begin to pray for you. 
Last week, when you left, I commissioned you all to be able to pray for the sick and to tell you that God would answer your prayers. And I hope you've had those opportunities, as I have had this week, to pray with sick people. Tomorrow, we start 21 days of fasting and prayer for our friends and for our community, 21 days where we're just focusing upon friendship and reaching out and loving our community. And you will be amazed at the end of this 21 days. <clears throat> and I know that I have just made a declarative statement there, and I have just made a promise. But I made that promise based upon my faith in God and my faith in the Word of God. And that is that prayer changes things. As we focus for the next 21 days, praying for our friends, fasting one meal a day if you're medically able, fasting one meal a day and spending that time, whether your lunch break is 30 minutes, 20 minutes, or an hour, spending that time we would normally eat a meal, we would spend that time in prayer for others. I got to thinking of some ideas. Where can I get ideas of who to pray for? And I just made a quick list, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to text me later, and I'll give you a number. I want you to text me your ideas, because there are lots of good ideas out here, but just some ideas that I jotted down real quickly. These aren't real well thought out. They're just ideas that came to mind brainstorming. Use Christmas cards as prayer cards. Becky and I keep our Christmas cards for the year, and we pray over those family photos. We pray over those cards that even when you just sign Joe, you know, you, you depend upon the stale Hallmark greeting, and you just sign Joe. Thank you that you took time to sign your name, but I'm going to pray for you. And that's not talking to you, Joe, but I'm just using the generic name there. When a friend gets married, use that time to pray for them. Put their anniversary down in your, in your book or your calendar or your iPhone and pray for their marriage on the day of their anniversary. Give yourself a week reminder if you have an iPhone to say, remind me in one week. So you spend that week praying for your friend. Put a reminder when someone dies. Put a reminder when a friend's baby is born. If anybody needs prayer, it's the parents of a newborn baby. If anybody really needs prayer, it's the parents of twins. If anybody is desperate for prayer, it's the parents, the grandparents, the aunts, and the uncles, and the cousins by the dozens when somebody has triplets. Can you say amen? And so when you're praying for those folks, God begins to give you ideas. And you might be walking through Walmart, and you'll see a pack of newborn diapers. And the Lord say, buy that bag of diapers for them. Or you might be walking through and seeing a, a little cute dress for a little girl, and you, the Lord nudge you, buy that dress. Because as you're praying, the Holy Spirit makes you aware. When a friend gets promoted, what better time than to celebrate with your friends? Because other people are jealous of them. Other people thought they deserved it much more than they did. And yet, when your friend gets promoted, you need to be the one that's sending them sincere congratulations. And when a friend posts on their family or their family or their life on social media, if you're scanning that, take a moment just to stop and pray for them. And then finally, when you know a friend needs help, you say, Pastor. Those are brainstorming ideas? Well, yeah, but they're ideas that I went through and I looked at all of Paul's prayers of how he prayed for people in the church. And I am convinced that some of the things that Paul left for us, that God said, this is my word to his people, it came about because of ideas that came to him while he was praying. Miracles happen when you pray. One of my favorite statements is what Archbishop Tennyson said. He sound, said, 
The less I pray, the less miracles happen. But coincidentally, the more I pray, the more miracles happen. So let you and I be people of prayer. Secondly, let's keep praying. I mean, let's don't just give up praying and pray once, but let's just really keep praying because sometimes as you're praying for a friend, the Lord will make you aware or sensitive. I was at the Red Lobster one day with a man from our church, and he'd invited me out to lunch, and and I had been praying for him, and the Lord nudged me with something to, to share with him. And it kind of just surprised me, but I ended up sharing with him and saying, you know, am I right or am I wrong on this? Is this? And, and we had the best conversation just because that time of continual prayer that takes place when you're seeking God for people's lives. I've had so many young women come to me from time to time. And they have not been able to make their budget. They've not been able to meet the basic needs of life. And they've met someone. And they're tempted to, to get out of, get further and further away from the will of God. Because if they move in with this man, then their monetary needs are going to be met. Their basic supplies, needs of supply are going to be met. I was reading in the magazine, Pray Magazine, the other day. And and this is an old edition that I have of Pray Magazine, and I don't think this was just accidental that I stumbled across this because I have those conversations frequently and just try to tell them, don't think that sin is going to answer your need. I know you're afraid right now. Let the church come alongside of you. Let, let's let your need be known to somebody, but don't sin against God and expect that to bring you joy. And in Pray Magazine, Arlen Anderson was talking about a, a, a friend of hers that she was praying for. And she felt like the Lord spoke to her, your friend is trapped by fear. And so she sat down with her over a cup of coffee at Starbucks. And Arlen asked her, she says, I just was praying for you. And it was like the Holy Spirit said to me, you're trapped by fear. Is this true? Now, two things I want you to get. Number one, from the story I told you personally about my friend at Red Lobster and from the story that I'm reading from Arlen Anderson, notice they didn't go and power up on somebody and go, the Lord told me to tell you this. That is baloney, okay? That's powering up, that's amping up on somebody where how are they going to argue with you? The Lord told you. But if you can go to them and say, you know, this keeps coming to me while I'm in prayer. Am I correct? Am I wrong? Is this, is this accurate? And you'll often find that you're right because you're not trying to power up and say the Lord says, but when you tell them that you've been praying and this has come to mind and they go, yes, it's a confirmation for them that God answers prayer. It's a confirmation for you that God speaks to you in prayer. Get it? Get it? Good. I mean, when we pray that way, God will talk to us. I love what one comedian says. Why do we say that it's schizophrenic when people talk to themselves? And why do we say that it's schizophrenic when people talk to God and God speaks to them in prayer? There's nothing schizophrenic about expecting God to speak to me in prayer. Well, to make a long story short, God spoke to me, not in an audible voice. God spoke to the author of this article. And by sharing with her friend, her friend repented of her sins. Her friend drew closer to the Lord. But she said the process started not with a cup of coffee. The process started when Arlen was praying for her friend 
long before she had the Starbucks cup of coffee. So in this 21 days of prayer that we're having, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for your friends. Don't pray for an answer. Just pray for them. Love your friends. Bless them. Speak peace into their life. And the Lord will speak to you while we pray together for 21 days. Look at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 4. He says, whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. Let's read that together. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. There are people that sometimes when I pray for them, I start laughing the moment I start praying. That's how much joy they bring into my life. There are some people when I pray for them, I go, oh, Lord, give me joy to pray for this person, okay? But you just pray with joy that God's given you the opportunity to talk to Jesus about your friend. Let me tell you how we can pray for our non-Christian friends. This is a biblical model of prayer that I'd like to share with you. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse 5. Jesus says, whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever it's set before you. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. Let me see if I can break that out for you so you can understand how we apply that today. Number one, speak peace into your friends' lives. Speak peace into your neighbors' lives. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know who lives two or three doors down from you? Do you know who lives behind you? Have you made an effort to get to know them? But speak peace to them. Through the years, it's been a privilege for Becky and I to get to know our neighbors and to be invited in their home, to have them into our home, to sit on front porches together and just to talk together. But when you speak peace, you're speaking the biblical word shalom. You pray for them. It's why I do a prayer walk in our subdivision, the subdivision across the street. I just walk by praying God's peace, his wholeness, his health, his prosperity, his success, his love upon people. You bring peace in their home because God's blessing opens the door to friendship. When you speak peace into their home and blessings into their home, God begins to bless them, and somehow or another, people begin to sense that when you're close by, good things happen in their lives. How many of you have people in your life, they're accident prone, and you kind of try to stay away from them? You don't have to raise your hands, but that's okay, Harmony. I saw that hand. Nothing thrills a pastor's heart more than a hand lifted in the service. But think about a friend that, you know, you know, they're constantly, I have a friend, his name is Jim. He happens to be in our national offices for the Assemblies of God. Jim is an accident waiting to happen all the time. Jim has ruined clothes. Jim has ruined seats in my car. Jim has done all kinds of stuff. He's just, he's the klutziest person I know. And the thing about Jim is, I love him so much. But wherever Jim goes, in all of his clutziness, he brings blessing into people's lives. He is one of the biggest blessings. It's why he does what he does today. But he's constantly praying. And this week, he sent me text messages, and he was praying for me. And I think to myself, Jim, I love you but I would rather ride in somebody else's car with you or ride in your car with you than to have you. And he just laughs about that all the time. <clears throat> Secondly, fe fellowship with them. In other words, to fellowship with them, once you begin to pray for them and doors open, you got to take the time to just stop in the driveway and talk or sit on the porch for a moment and talk. You've got to make yourself available. 
you know, one of the best places in our subdivision for me to get to talk to people is two rocking chairs that the deacons gave us years and years ago, and they're still holding. And let me just put in a plug for Cracker Barrel rocking chairs. Those are the greatest things ever made. And I'll sit on those chairs on the front porch on a Sunday afternoon or in the evening, and it's amazing how many times people just come sit on the porch and rock with me, and we'll talk for a moment and have a time of prayer. But fellowship, because fellowship establishes trust. When people know you, they begin to trust you. You don't trust a stranger. I don't trust a stranger. But when you fellowship with people, you're building trust with them. And then thirdly, Jesus says, if they're sick, heal them. Take care of their needs. Once you know people and you know what their needs are, then you can begin to pray for them because prayer addresses their felt needs. I don't necessarily go take something monetarily or something materially. I do from time to time. But when I start praying about their needs, then all of a sudden the opportunity arises for me to meet a need for them. Let me share this with you because of building friendship with one of my non-Christian friends in our subdivision. My mother, my sisters, my wife, and my daughter all have this saying about me. If they die before I do, Dennis will be naked and hungry. They say that all the time. Come up to me and they'll look at me and just go naked and hungry. And I mean... It's not true, but they say that. They just speak that into my life all the time. Well, Becky and Amy were gone. All the boys were gone, and I was coming home one night, and I was feeling sorry for myself because none of you had called and invited me to dinner, even though I let you know they were going to be gone. I let you know they were going to be out of town, and not one of you invited me to dinner. And I was coming home, and I was like, Lord, there's nothing in the house that's cooked already, and i got to go in and cook, and it's snowed all day. I'm going to have to go plow my driveway and, you know, snow blow my driveway, and I was just grumpy. You ever been like that? Don't leave me up here hanging. Have you ever been like that? Sure. Thank you. The rest of you are liars, and liars go to hell, so you better listen to me. So I'm driving home in the snow. I'm in a funk. You haven't invited me out to eat. i got to shovel the driveway. i got to cook, and I get to the house. And my driveway has been plowed. The sidewalks have been plowed. The porch has been cleared off. And there's salt or calcium or whatever it is on the sidewalk. And I'm like, who did this for me? I walked into the house, and I hadn't been in the house long. And one of my neighbors came over and knocked on the door and says, I heard Becky was out of town. And she says, you'll be naked and hungry. So here's a lasagna. <laughs> Do you know my whole mood changed? Not because the church ministered to me, but because my lost friends ministered to me that day. Do you follow what I'm saying? When you pray for people and you bless people and you pray about their needs, you begin to establish trust, and God says he will cause people to pour into your lap, pressed down, shaken over, running over without measure. Can you imagine what's going to happen for Caleb and Sandy Cumper as they pour into the lives of all of these orphans in the Philippines? I want that kind of blessing, don't you? Let's give the Lord a hand of praise for that. And then finally, when the opportunity arises, share the good news. That's why we say talk to you, Jesus, about your friends before you talk to your friends about Jesus. Because when we intercede for our neighbors, the kingdom of God comes near them. And that's what Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near you now. And I'm going to leave the platform for just a moment, just for the sake of the cameras. Gary, when you are praying for your neighbors... 
the kingdom of God is coming close to them. Because Jesus lives in you, and he hears your prayers, and he answers your prayers. You pray according to your will, his will. Trinity, when you pray for your classmates, and you go over next to a desk, or you're sitting quietly, and you just pray for the people kind of in a crossword square around you, Trinity, you're bringing the kingdom of heaven into their lives. God's close to them, and they begin to sense something about your presence. And harmony, when you get grumpy like I get grumpy sometimes, as you just admitted you're going to heaven, when you get grumpy sometimes like I do, God is going to bring, I'm sorry, God is going to bring people into your life to bless you and to pour blessings into your life. That's how the kingdom works. You sow and then you reap. Can we give the Lord another hand of praise this morning? Thirdly, and I've, I love this point. Keep encouraging. Just keep encouraging. Corey Tinboom said, I've learned not to hold on to anything too tightly because it's so painful when the Lord pries my fingers off of it and makes me give rather than when I give freely. So how do we encourage? We can encourage by giving to people high fives and celebrate their progress. We can encourage people by coming alongside of them when they fail and they mess up and we give them a second chance. And we say, you know what? You can do better. We're going to do this together. It's not okay what you did, but we're going to walk through this together. You don't give up on them and turn away from them. Benjamin West, who is a famous painter, I only know that because I watched this art show with my wife on on YouTube. And I just want you to know when I watch shows like this with Becky, I have no motive in mind other than to be with my wife. So just to be clear about that, this just a pure-hearted moment of being there with Becky and watching an art show. But there was one particular episode we watched together called about an artist named Benjamin West. How many of you have heard of him? I'm among friends. Most of you haven't. Paul, I knew you would have. But anyway, Benjamin West tells the story of how he became a painter. He said, I love to paint from childhood. And he says, one day I was trying to paint a picture of my sister, and I, my mother had left, and I made a big mess. I had an accident. There was paint everywhere. And I was trying to clean it up before my mother got home. And my mother walked in, and she looked at the picture I was painting and didn't look at the mess I had made and said, that is a beautiful picture of your sister. Here, let's clean this up together. He said, that's the day I became a painter. Rather than kicking people when they're down, look at what they're trying to do and give them a second chance. Look at what the Word of God says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue His work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Why is He certain? Because God began the good work. Why is He certain? Because God will continue the good work. God will continue the work in your life. Do you believe that? God will continue the work in your life. Do you believe that? God will continue the work in your life. Do you believe that? Think about your fat-headed friends this morning and say, God will continue the work in their lives. Because as we pray for them, we bring the kingdom of God near to them. Three ways Jesus encouraged. He served. He listened and he loved and then finally served, listened, and loved. You can put those down real quick. Finally, don't ever stop shining for Jesus. 
they'll never stop shining for Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning and look, let's look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14 together. This is how we shine. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Remember the first part of this service, I mentioned a song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. When my neighbor turned around in her snow boots and walked back into her car, and I carried the lasagna inside and set it on the table, Becky and the kids were all still gone, but I was convicted. I was convicted because I was lonely and I was grumpy. And I said, Lord, I am so sorry. I am so terribly sorry because I really was in a funk. And standing right there at our breakfast table where I set that lasagna down, suddenly joy just began to enter in my heart. Because if you just go to my journal, you would find the scripture. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault. You see, when God looks at me and God looks at you, He doesn't see my grumbling, He doesn't see my fault. If you remember when I prayed earlier this morning, He sees us clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He took our unrighteousness and gave us the purity and the innocence of Christ. And God will continue that work in you and in me until it's complete. Can you say amen? Look at your neighbor and say, God's going to continue his work in you. Now, if you're real confident about this person you're standing next to and they're not going to deck you, just look at him and say, I want him to start today. <laughs> Mark, I want him to start today, buddy. Braden, I want him to start today. Look at me and say, Pastor, we need him to start on you today. <laughs> you don't have to look so doggone happy about it. <laughs> we need him. Growth works a little differently. I want you to go home and pray about this message. What did you really hear today? Because as a pastor, there's what I said. There's what I think I said. And there's what you really heard. What did you hear today? And I want you to write that down. Secondly, I want you to ask yourself the question, what do I think? Not about the delivery, but what do I think about the points and the stories what do I think? And then thirdly, what will you do? Will you join us on 21 days of prayer and fasting for your friends? Will you take time to invite a friend to join us on October the 27th for our friend day? And be sure you invite children as well for the candy trail after the service. They'll be We're just going to celebrate friendship. Because I'm going to preach next week upon the power, listen to me, 
the power and the positive blessing of building friendships with lost people. I had a remarkable encounter this week with one of my lost friends. But the power and the positive blessings of building friendships with lost people. Then I'm going to do a message on the power and the blessing of spiritual friendships. And then we're going to do our final message when we invite our friends that day on how Jesus is a friend to all of us. Can you say amen? So will you pray with me for 21 days? And if you're able to fast, will you fast a meal and spend that time in prayer with me? And let's see what kind of miracles God does. So Father, I stand here this morning in your sight and I hope no one thinks I'm being cocky when I say this <clears throat> but I say it Lord with all humility in me not one blemish do you find because of the amazing grace that you have shown me in Jesus Christ and in these who call upon your name that are here today, in them not one fault do you find. You have adopted us as your children, and you've called us friends. So I pray for those today that are listening and maybe never crossed the line and given their hearts to you, or maybe they're like the young woman that Arlen prayed for that was wandering from her faith and thinking that sin would be the answer to her needs and to her fears. Would you touch them right now and help them to see that Jesus, you're not only a friend, you're not only a savior, but you are the Lord God Almighty and you've come to set them free today. So would you pray this prayer with me online or here in the service? You can pray it quietly. Say something like this. Just say it quietly to Jesus. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to be your friend. I reach out and I accept your offer of friendship and forgiveness and to become a part of your family. What more could I ask for? Friendship, family, forgiveness, these are all mine in you. So as much as I know how, I confess my sins. I invite you into my heart to be my friend, to be my Savior, to be my Lord. For it's in Christ's name I pray. While every head is still bowed, if you prayed that prayer, would you lift your hand this morning just so I can be praying with you? And <clears throat> God bless you. God bless you. Wow. Wow. You can put your hands down all over the building. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? What an amazing response today. God is so good. Well, may the Lord, who washes away all of your sins by his blood, May the Lord who has created space so infinite because even the universe cannot contain him. May the Lord who said to you, I'm your friend. May you find fellowship and peace and joy in your relationship with Christ this week. God bless you. Go in peace today.